0: For the past decade, our teams have been working incredibly hard to make some big and much-needed changes in how we develop leaders while at work. I challenge you to form your own path and your own leadership evolution. Consider one that makes the lives of people around you and the business better by building more purpose-driven leaders and relationships with your teams. We need to build leaders who truly care about those they see and engage each and every day. We invite you to hear more about our own leadership and cultural journey, and the impactful stories will surely resonate with you and your teams.
1: All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with the one and only Kevin Deary. And if you're listening in and you're not from North Central Indiana, you're in for a treat today. Seriously. Um, Kevin Deary, I can't believe this, has spent nearly 40 years with the Boys and Girls Club. And in 1994, he became the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Elkhart County. And he has served in that capacity for almost 30 years, Um, won numerous awards, has grown the clubs from a, what was it, a $95,000 total budget to a $5.5 million budget today. My goodness. Membership has grown exponentially. You know, director of the year multiple times in Indiana. And I think the coolest part here is that Elkhart County has had six of the past years, the youth of the year winners. And I really think that's a testament to Kevin, your leadership and your team members at the various clubs. And also, Kevin, and I'm not even going to try to do the Boston accent that that you probably will do for us, but born and raised in Boston. So I have to ask you, what got you to Elkhart County, Indiana from Boston? Did you ever think you'd be here sitting today as no. a young kid in Boston?
2: No, it never entered my mind. I really didn't even know where Indiana was. I can't even sing Indiana without my Boston accent <laughs> sticking out, uh, but You know, I started working with Boys and Girls Cubs in 1983. I love what I do. I wake up every day and I can't wait to go to work. How many people feel like that? I'm really blessed. So I was growing fast. My organization was growing fast, but I was outgrowing my organization. Uh, And I said, I think I need to probably grow somewhere else. So they actually helped me find another location, and it was in uh, Goshen, Indiana. And I came out in 1994, 32 years old. I was a social worker. We had a very small club, total budget of $95,000, total membership of 200, and I think I worked with 15 kids a day. That's what my total membership and how we started. I think there was only two of us, me and one other staff person. So today we're well over 100 staff. We have uh, about 3,000 children in 19 different locations. We have six different board of directors, wonderful staff, wonderful board, and today we're five and a half million dollar budget.
1: That is that is amazing. Um, today as you know we're going to talk about something very specific related to leadership and of course as you know working so closely with Lippert um, and our CEO and president that one of our core values obviously is caring about people and so in our wonderful cultural playbook that we have for the Lippert Academy for Leadership one of the practical tools because as you know when we put this playbook together you know we outline nearly two dozen um, different areas um, that we want to execute on as a company. And one of those is facility standards. So it's basics are basics. Don't overlook them as cultural drivers. And when we say that, what we mean is the aesthetics, the look, the feel, the signage. You know, when people come into the facility, you know, what do they feel like? What are the parking lots like? Um, Again, all Wrapped into this idea um, and strategy that we have, that the most basic things have a short-term and long-term impact on our team members um, and all other stakeholder groups. Whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're a manufacturing company, whatever it may be. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And Kevin is great is a great guest for this because. From, I believe, 2016 to 2020, he has either built or renovated spaces for the Boys and Girls Club across the county, which is also a testament to to his awesome fundraising skills, because as a former fundraiser, you know, capital campaigns are... (laughs) are tough, especially that last 20%. So 2016, Goshen, 17, Elkar, 18, Napanee, 2020, Middlebury. So first and foremost, what was it like as a leader trying to get all those spaces renovated? Of course, they didn't happen at the same time. And your thought process when working with, you know, the design and the architects for those facilities?
2: You know, Sarah, it really starts with strategic planning and understanding where you're at and where you want to be. Our clubs were all full, full of kids, ages 6 to 18, and we really wanted, we needed to expand the buildings. In some cases, we were working in elementary schools, and we knew we needed to bring the kids together like in Elkhart around one full-service unit. So we laid out the strategic plan with the board of directors and then put the different communities in a queue. So that meant... Goshen was gonna go first, Elkhart second, then Napanee, then Middlebury. And we pulled together, not only did we pull together some community leaders and board members and staff, but we really pulled together some kids too. So the kids were part of the design. And that's part of the thing I'm probably most proud of is having kids and staff who are gonna be in the building all the time, to have them give their input to what they wanted to see. It's really important when children, particularly kids who come from um, tougher homes, or lower socioeconomic, when they walk into a Boys and Girls Club, we have vaulted, elevated ceilings. The first thing we want kids to do is go, wow, I can't believe this is my place. It's nicer than their homes. It's nicer than their neighborhoods. It's something that's nicer than their schools in many cases. They've never seen anything like this. And we want them to feel like it's their second home. It's their safe haven. So it's bright, it's colorful. There are murals on the walls particularly for the cadets and juniors, which are 6 to 8 and then 9 through 11. It's just really important that they feel like this is their home. So the carpets, the flooring, everything is done with purpose. We actually have a blue tile that runs through our Goshen Club, which mimics a river. So water is very comforting to kids. So we have waterfalls in Elkhart. We We have water throughout the entire organization because we know kids love water and it's a calming effect on them. So we really spend a lot of time thinking our way through the aesthetics, but definitely with kids and staff's input.
1: That's amazing. What are some of the fun things that the kids said throughout that strategic session um, that you included them in on?
2: So one of the things that the kids said uh, was, and this came from a teenager, who said, "If, if I knew I was going to get in trouble, I wish there was a bat light like that shows on the clouds in Batman, the movie Batman. Oh, okay. If there could be a Boys and Girls Club logo, then maybe I wouldn't get in trouble. I would just follow the light to the Boys and Girls Club. So in our Goshen Club, we actually we don't have actually lights going up to the clouds. Neighbors didn't like that I thought too much. <laughs> but uh, what we do have is we have oversized logos with soft lights behind it. Uh, So you can see it because we're located on the highest part of Goshen. You can see it from all over Goshen. And it's a beacon to remind kids of, you know, where the Boys and Girls Club is. And that came from a child.
1: That's pretty amazing. I'm going to read a couple of quotes here from your team members and perhaps a couple of kids here. Um, I think this is one from one of the team members, the Expanded Learning Center and STEM Lab lets children do science activities so they're the cool thing is i think is that they're learning in their classrooms during the day but then you're taking that and expanding it even more in a space that you've created at the club
2: Yeah, education can also be fun and when you're working with stem which is science technology engineering and math Uh, And and we do a lot of robotics. So we have kids that build RV Legos, and then they learn how to make the slide-out slide in and out. Who does that at 9 and 10 years old? That's what engineers are doing. So we just take education and put fun to it. High-yield educational percentage is important in programming. So probably in every area we have some kind of educational component, uh, particularly in the science technology area.
1: That's wonderful. And then I've been at the Goshen Club for a couple of tours. And one thing that I noticed is the attention to detail with the teen group, because I think you had mentioned once before, you know that it's hard to get the teens to come in, and we and you want them to come in and take advantage of everything you offer at the club. So, Talk to us a little bit about those spaces that you have devoted just for teens.
2: So in all of our clubs but Middlebury, Middlebury is the only one that's on the same level, but we have a a different period or different place for the uh, Middlebury kids to go. But all clubs with teen centers are upstairs, which really is kind of like their bedrooms. You know, when they get mad, they want to go upstairs to their bedrooms. So we really, we send the teens upstairs. They have their own areas upstairs away from the little ones where they can just hang out with each other. Music is important, soft couches and chairs and lots of PlayStations and technology and games, things that kids want to do. Uh, A lot of booth sitting, like what you would see at Wings, just so they could sit with their friends and talk. Technology is a big part of who they are. They spend a lot of time on their phones, but they want to spend a lot of time with each other too. And the COVID time has really driven that home to them. When kids were isolated at home, even with their phones, really they got lonely they really needed human touch past their family. Uh, and tech, they, what they quickly realized, technology couldn't provide that. So we're really reaching out and grabbing teens and bringing them back into the clubs, uh, especially now that we've uh, renovated and, and built new ones, uh, to get them back on a level plane where they can be with each other. Uh, and then we have seen tremendous uh, responses from our teens, where you see them smiling more often, you see them more willing to do their homework, uh, so we're really trying to close that educational gap, but also keep an eye on mental health.
1: That's wonderful. Do you have a story you can tell, whether it's a teen or a uh, maybe a, a child in you know sixth, seventh, eighth grade, uh, and maybe they had experienced the club before they it was renovated and then or built the new facility, and then experienced uh, the different facility, the new facility that you really think was your kind of light bulb moment when you said yes. I think we did it.
2: Yeah, we, we have lots of those stories. So I, I don't think we have enough time for all of them. But well, what I can tell you, one, is we had built uh, a culinary teaching kitchen in Goshen. So we overbuilt our kitchens because we a lot of kids are growing up watching Food Network. And they all think they want to be the next Iron Chef. And we want to help them. So we, we serve breakfast, lunch, snacks, dinner. Uh, and we have a lot of our kids, particularly 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, that are coming in and learning how to do everything from lemonade day, with are learning how to make different lemonades, they're learning how to bake, they're learning how to cook, things that aren't being taught anymore uh, from mother and father to son and daughter, the, those skills are kind of falling off the wayside. So for us, we want to teach culinary art. And we have a couple of kids who came in who just could not believe the kitchen and the cafeteria. And this is what they want to be now. They want to be chefs.
1: How does that make you feel when you when oh. you all your hard work, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into capital campaigns and mm. working with all the architects and designers to get it done? How did that make you feel when you started to see that?
2: Well, all of our donors, our board members, our staff, our parents, you know, we're 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 always blown away when kids come in and affirm our thoughts and our dreams as we help them affirm their dreams. Uh, they had so much part of, of telling us where they wanted to go in life. So we just wanted to create a place that was, first, welcoming, which is really important, and second, knowing that they were loved, and third, how can we help you get to where you're going in life? So the facility is important, but the people in it are even more important.
1: That's awesome, and that really goes back to, you know, Lippert and their leadership and cultural journey that we've been on for the last several years. And you shared something really um, amazing with me when I connected with you about really focusing on this angle about space um, and the impact it has. So our Kendallville plant, which is known as Wolfpack Plant uh, 151, I believe, they, that company was um, acquired this past March. And uh, immediately the cool thing is the leaders there sat down and listened to the team members and jumped into action and immediately uh, made some improvements to lighting and uh, paint and things like that. And I think, you know, hopefully in the next uh, several months, additional improvements will be made. And then, you know, we were talking about this and you said, well, ironically, I just did some improvements as well. Because in my mind, I'm thinking you're, you're, you're thinking space for children, but as a leader, you were also thinking of space for another stakeholder group.
2: You know, when I started in Boys and Girls Clubs, all staff went to the bathroom with, their, with, the, with the members, the kids. I mean, we, there were all just only so many bathrooms, and that was how it was for many, many years. And one of the things that was important to us was to give staff their own bathrooms, to give staff their own space where they can get away from the kids and, and freshen up and before they go back uh, into the rooms. So that was important. But even things like making sure that we, we have extra things for them that they may need, that maybe they forgot, so having toothbrushes or deodorant or, you know, uh, whatever they need that we would have that access for them if they needed to use that. It's the little things in life like that that make a difference for staff when you know you're thinking about them, not only buying lunches and breakfasts, but trying to incorporate their ideas on how to do the job better, because no one does it better than they do. They do it every day.
1: This episode of Lippert Built to Lead podcast is brought to you by the Lippert Academy for Leadership, the team committed to enhancing your organization's leadership and cultural goals with strategic leadership development programs, on-site training, executive coaching, speaking engagement, and customized solutions. Find out how to get your organization involved at www.lci1.com backslash academy. Or send us a message at academy at lci1.com. That's academy at lci the number one.com. Kind of feedback, reaction. And again, some people may be listening and thinking, well, that's just a minor tweak. But we know and you know that those are large, significant changes. So tell me what the feedback has been from team members since since you renovated
2: amazing when you see staff come in when they've seen the finished because we wouldn't let them see the until it was finished uh and they were blown away they had the exact same reaction as our kids they were wow this place i get to work here uh and that and that just makes you feel like you're really uh connecting with them so they can connect better with our kids Uh, because they're a lot closer to the kids and the families than it's something that i am now uh, as an administrator so it's really important that we keep our fingers on the pulse of what's going on our, in our local clubs you know we all have a job to do we all have our output and results and goals we have to make but the journey along the way doesn't have to be hard it can be a lot easier if we take the little things that they're saying to us and implement those it can make life a lot easier and guarantee the results a lot better
1: did you do you think that you know, with team members and these small changes that impact them um, as people who are very close to children each and every day, what that does to their sense of value, not only as a professional within their organization, but a sense of value as a person.
2: You know, having a, when you work with social workers, uh, they wear their heart on their sleeve and they love the, the mission. They love their kids and their families. And we really have to sometimes pull them back and say, don't forget to take care of yourself. Make sure that you are taking, doing the things that you need to do in your home, that you're doing the things that you have to do for yourself. So we try to make sure that we put in some training, things like uh, how to do a budget. A lot of our staff are younger. They're in their 20s, mid-20s. We want to make sure that they understand how to balance a budget, uh, how to use their checkbook, how to plan for retirement. We spend time teaching our folks, put some money away for retirement. And why is that important? So, helping them even when they're getting ready to buy a house, Uh, when they have to move, giving them one of our trucks to say, use our truck to move, uh, because it just makes life easier for them. So it's really paying attention to them inside and outside of work, and always keeping that boundary because it is their life. But things that we can do to make it easier for them is only going to return exponential results for us.
1: That's pretty amazing. So we talked about before we got started here, you know, it's... There's challenges to putting this in place, both from the nonprofit world and also from the, the profit side as a company, because at the end of the day, there's just this balancing act of, you know, we, we want to care about our people and we want to execute on those things to ensure that we have impact on them to ultimately, you know, uh, be successful as a company. But it's hard work. So tell me about the challenges when you were going through that process, because you're you're balancing, you only have so much money that that you have to work with. Then you have children, families, team members at the forefront. and then you have donors, and you have to respect the fact that they have wishes. Um, so to tell me about as a leader, how you were able to balance all that, gosh, and a multitude of new facilities in such a short amount of time.
2: Clarity of message is so important, Sarah making sure that you are laying out the plan, the architectural drawings, the cost, the benefit, the return on the investment is so important. That's what brings people together is the return on the investment that they see and agree to the common vision because you can't make everybody happy. But as you lay out that that messaging for that, it's what rallies the community to support a capital campaign Because they can see the building and they know what you're going to do with it at the end of it. And that's important. So messaging is, is critical, uh, communication critical to make sure that in the planning stages, the campaign is actually the result of a year of planning before you even do the campaign. So you really gotta make sure you get all your input and, and get that message out. And then the campaigns roll pretty successfully. There'll be there's always some questions and some concerns and you have to address those. But it's really about the planning.
1: That's pretty amazing. Any advice, you know, thinking about this, you would give to leaders out there, again, in not only in the nonprofit world, but if you're in in the manufacturing space, you may be kind of assistant plant manager or something. When you're thinking about your team members and space and the correlation between the two, what advice would you give them?
2: First, I would say, be brave. When you are in leadership, uh, there is risk. But you cannot get the great gain without risk. There'll be people who may tell you we can't do it, but you have to push through the objection. You have to be able to see the vision and to be able to make it happen and to bring people and bring your teams together. But there is great risk, but don't fear it. It's okay to fail, but it's not okay not to try.
1: That's absolutely correct. We also have to understand and be strategic about safety, whether it's our team members in the plants, children, or team members in your club. Talk to us about how you had safety in mind throughout these projects.
2: Well, anytime you work with other people's children, you have to keep safety uh, first and foremost. And that means we have a lot of glass inside, safety glass. We always want to have two points of vision from any room. So we could look into any room that we're connected to and the way we have built it, we have built the club more like a a center hub, and then there are these pieces of pie that are the rooms are shaped like uh, pieces of pie, so you can look clearly look into those rooms, and we can clearly have lots of different points of vision. That that's really important to us. Bathrooms are specifically designed with safety in mind, so because we have children in there, so they're they're actually a mazed door, so there's no closed door. Obviously, you know, stalls are private but, uh, but that, we, that way we can hear what's going on in the bathrooms and it's easily to check. So we have videos, with uh, all, the, all the clubs now have videos inside and outside, that is very, very important to have to make sure that we're keeping everybody as safe as possible. Uh, so that Therefore, we also have a historical video of anything that may have happened in a parking lot or in a room. Uh, all that uh, is important. So safety is important, particularly coming off of COVID you know we've learned some valuable lessons in covid so there'll be parts of covid that stay from plexiglass and all of, and tremendous amounts of cleaning we've always cleaned but not like we did through covid so pieces of that will stay
1: okay and i can i can understand from just being a parent myself they they have to appreciate all those extra safety measures you've put in place but thinking about the children as well unfortunately in the day that we live in with you know, unfortunate incidents that happen in schools and, and shootings and, and things like that. I always go back to the child's most basic need and the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And they may not articulate it, right, as children, but how do you think having a safer environment impacts them emotionally and mentally?
2: Very important. You know, when when they're in schools for seven hours a day and they're with boys and girls clubs for six hours a day, they sleep hopefully for eight that pretty much takes up their day, making sure that we have, because you have a lot of single family homes, grandparents, raising kids, foster kids. You have a lot of uh, different types of family structures now that we have to work with and around. And it's important for us that when we're we're providing these services that we we know our parents and we know our, our kids, so we can help them get services if they need it. Uh, But sometimes uh, we had a situation a couple weeks ago where we had a seven-year-old that was acting out, and I suggested let's go make him a sandwich, and that went away. Sometimes kids are just hungry; they're not being mean; they're just hungry. So, being able to identify that uh, and to be able to meet their their quickest needs, uh, but also get them the resources that maybe families don't have insurance or they. They need mental health issues, help, and we can help them get those resources. That includes staff, too.
1: That's wonderful. So I've got to ask you this question. You know, think about when you were, I don't know, 10 years old, 11 years old. You're sitting on your bed in Boston throwing that baseball up in your air, thinking about the next Red Sox game that was about to be played. What were you thinking your life was going to be like later on? I mean, 38 years, Boys and Girls Club, tremendous impact. uh, One of the most well-known leaders in our community, you know, did when you I, ever think? <laughs>
2: no, when I was ten years old, I was going to play left field for the Red Sox. So that's where <laughs> I was at ten. But it it really wasn't until I uh, I was in the military, United States Navy, and I had the I had the opportunity to work with some kids uh, in a boxing program that were uh, younger kids, and I realized that I, that you know I I really like working with kids, and uh, and they really connected to me, and I said, well, I should think about doing this for the rest of my life, and when I get out of the Navy. Um, There was a Boys and Girls Club that had a looking for a a part-time basketball coach. And I walked in and that was almost 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years, 38 years ago. So I've never, never left. So, you know, when you know you're doing something that you see as your ministry, that you see as your mission, then you know you're in your sweet spot and everything else um, is just life. So I wake up every day and I can't wait to go to work. How many people feel like that? I
1: know. That's, that's pretty darn amazing. And your leadership style, you know, how did you kind of grow and evolve in leadership? Because I know we all could say, I wish I wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'll,
2: I'll, <laughs> then, give you, I'll give you a great example. I think every good leader will say they emulated other people. They watched other leaders ahead of them and they emulated them. One of the things that I learned was one leader on his feet is worth two in his seat. So be moving, be mobile, be present. So anything I I have learned as a leader, I really receive uh, from watching great leaders ahead of me or even great leaders now that are younger than me who have tremendous leadership skills. Are are, are you born with leadership? I don't think so. I think it's developed. And for me, it was definitely uh, emulated. I watched people who led by example and I took the bits and pieces of them and kind of woven into my character, hopefully, try to be a leader with character and passion. Uh, And that's important to me. And even if I left Boys and Girls Clubs and I came to someplace like Lipper Components, I would bring that leadership style. It doesn't change who I am, depending on where I work. So I like to think that a leader is transferable. Uh, But if you are, everybody has some level of leadership skills, but for me, it was emulating those who came before me.
1: What was the hardest part about leadership for you? Uh,
2: Fear, afraid of sometimes losing and sometimes maybe not being able to always have the answers. People think leaders always have the answers and they don't. They can find the answers. They can but usually what happens is you learn how to develop your teams. If you can develop strong teams, team building, team development. That's what really a good leader is. The other thing I've always said is I I lead to the level of my incompetency and I'm really good at it. <laughs> so I put people around me that are much better at at other things than I am, and then together we tend to row the boat pretty fast. So, I think that those are all keys. Don't you don't have to be all the answers, especially frontline first-time supervisors. Take a breath and learn. Ask questions. Learn.
1: Well, that's some phenomenal advice. And for our, you know, listeners and viewers out there, if you'd like to get in touch with Kevin or like to get in touch with us, again, this is uh, this topic we focused on today was about um, in our cultural playbook, specifically on facility standards and the direct impact it has on all stakeholder groups. Um, especially, please email us at academy at lci one and we can get you connected to the right people and the right resources. Thank you. Thank- Thank you, Kevin.
2: Thank you. By the way, the Red Sox are in first place.
1: Really? Boom. (laughs) Well, thank you again so much. Um, And again, everyone, continue to stay tuned for additional podcasts with some really great leaders in our community and also leaders within Lippert. So thank you again.
0: All right. Thank you so much for joining us and know that together we can use the 40 or 50 hours a week we have to influence and impact others and truly make business a force for good in this world. If you don't mind, do me a favor and leave your comments for us and share this episode with a few people. The world needs this message. Thanks again for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the view or mission of Lippert Components Incorporated.